Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. I was, I was, I was being silent only because I had nothing to add. <laughs> I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to the novelist Meg Clothier and her brother, Chris Clothier. It's very sweet of Meg to say that, but that's just simply not true. Um, because... <laughs> oh no, we're going to get into an awful no you, no you, no you. <laughs> but I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. You know, if I got three A's, A level, and then he sort of did it too, and it was always, I suppose, a, a did it too, rather than a kind of, I did it, that's amazing. I always kind of think of this little boy who's trying to impress his big sister <laughs> whereas <laughs> hopefully she maybe sees me as I don't know some other things like a you know a good son and a good father and you know a fully formed adult person. <laughs> it, yeah indeed indeed <laughs> brothers and sisters are never straightforward Chris and Meg were brought up by their hardy sea-loving parents who met ocean racing Childhood spent cold, wet and bored by the water, nevertheless instilled a love and respect for the sea in the siblings, who this summer published Sea Fever, a funny and informative miscellany all about the sea. Both academic, the pair went to Oxbridge, which didn't seem to impress their parents that much, on the surface at least. We talk about all that, about teenage dress sense and snogging your siblings' friends. But Meg started describing the time she and Chris sailed their dad's boat from the south coast of England to the Canary Islands. It was absolutely terrifying. I mean, I can still remember the sort of like knot of nerves of just total, total tension. And I remember we were, as we were casting off the, uh, the lines, the lines, not the ropes, <laughs> um, in uh, Lymington, that was it. And, you know, mum and dad were waving goodbye to us and... and our mother was crying. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I suddenly realised that perhaps this was a little bit more serious. Um, I, Crystal was a much better sailor than me. And I was very conscious that I was sort of less experienced. Um, and we had two friends with us, uh, Kath and Paddy, old friends each of ours. And we set off into Biscay, kind of in the knowledge that we were going to get a gale on the nose the whole way across Biscay. And... I, I just remember us just staring at each other as we were trying to round Portland Bill, where, where the, we'd gone the wrong way through a tidal gate or something. I can't quite remember the details. And we just, the boat was thrashing up and down and we were going backwards and sideways and there were big boats everywhere. And it was just, it was just terrifying. You got the kind of the horrendous kind of rain and squall as the front went through. 
And then you have that moment of release and relief as you come out the other side of it. And the wind veered round to the sort of more to the northwest and suddenly we were freed. There was a huge rainbow. There really was a rainbow. And you kind of went from like bashing into the waves, like everyone, bang, 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 to kind of flying off the backs of them like a bird. It was it was amazing. And suddenly the skies cleared and you had that sort of slightly cold wind off the backside of a front and and it was just glorious and that that relief and it was at that moment that I realized that we were going to make it if you know yes, yeah, the, I think we were doubting ourselves um, we, we arrived at the other end and just the, sort of the sparkling lights of Spain and we'd run out of food we had nothing but gin and peanuts I just remember just sitting there with gin and peanuts and just sort of sinking into this sort of alcoholic oblivion just bliss but we were so tiny and really we didn't really know what we were doing but you know we survived so <laughs> and here we are. And so when did you guys become friends and kind of look at each other and think, oh, this is nice, we're mates? Yeah, well, I mean, actually, I think in some senses, I think we always were friends when we were little. I really remember him just as a really nice playmate because I was an enormous tomboy until at least probably until puberty hit, really. So I think a lot of the things we liked doing were exactly the same. So I remember a lot of running around games and camping games and treehouse games. We had these sort of rather funny childhood holidays which revolved around being by the seaside in Devon or sailing in, you know, the Hebrides or Orkney or Shetland or Iceland or wherever it was. And Meg and I would, you know, always be, as far as I could make out, cold, wet and bored. We had each other. It's quite bonding, and, isn't it, that experience? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We probably became friends, I guess, when I was, she had gone off to university and I was 16, 17, 18. And that always seemed, you know, like this unbelievably dreamy situation where I got to hang out with my, you know, my big sister and all of her friends who I thought were incredibly cool. And I remember my very intelligent, very beautiful friend, um, who I won't name, um, (laughs) saying, oh, I like your brother. He's really nice. And I was like, oh, it's so nice. He's getting on with everyone. I'm so proud of him. Isn't that great? And I turned around and of course, I like your brother. He's very nice. Meant she really fancied him. And they were in a corner of some grotty room, passionately kissing. And my jaw just hit the floor. And it was so naive of me not to sort of see him as a sort of attractive and desirable young man you said you came up and I'm going to put it in sort of air quotes now you had a nice time with her friends which I now know is you were snogging her friends in dark corners was what Um, actually happened I mean it was only because we were we were covering over all of the ground very quickly Catherine it wasn't so much that I was trying to avoid saying that I ended up kissing a bunch of her very pretty friends um yeah <laughs> there were lots of reasons why it was really nice to go and visit my sister at university. And, you know, she wasn't the first of my friends, who I also won't name the second one to think of him as an attractive and desirable young man. And, you know, and she was a really, um, she, she took real care of me in her own way. So, for example, I remember, I think it would have been my 18th birthday, and she evidently decided that my wardrobe wasn't cool enough and that wearing clothes from Gap wasn't really good enough. And so she set off and went to, I believe it was probably Diesel and French Connection. And if you'll recall, you know, in the late 90s, those were definitely two of the coolest places to shop, or at least I thought that they were. (laughs) And she bought me, 
what seemed like an entire wardrobe, which really must have cost her a fortune at the time. Yes, I did. I wouldn't dare to do it now. He is so much better dressed than I am. I mean, he's got he has got a really excellent sense of style, which has absolutely nothing to do with me. But I think I just went and bought him clothes from French Connection. That really dates it, doesn't it? The idea that French <laughs> Connection would like help a man be cool. <laughs> I spent most of my life in awe of Meg, I guess. She was always the cleverest one in the family. Um, so when we were kids, she was two years ahead of herself at school and she came top in every single exam she ever took, apart from one time, and I remember it was quite big news. She didn't come top in one exam because she failed to turn over the exam page. And I'm sure that had she done that, she obviously would have come top in that one as well. He said he looked up to you right from the beginning because you were so clever. I think it's really unfair that I probably got to be the clever one because I came first, where he is ferociously, monstrously clever, probably in a less sort of annoying and know-it-all way when we were smaller. I mean, has he admitted to you that he got a first in chemistry and he showed me his, uh, what do you call it, thesis? And the whole thing is just insane gobbledygook. I mean, he is, I think I, think I sort of stole that crown whereas I think anyone else meeting Christopher is just knocked sideways by how clever he is I mean it's obviously it's it's very sweet of Meg to say that but that's just simply not true um because... <laughs> <laughs> oh no we're gonna get into an awful no you no you no you <laughs> I mean you know I wasn't a dunce and and that you know I knew that but definitely we weren't in in the same league in the when we were children so it's Johnny and Jane, isn't it, your parents? They must have been pretty pleased people with their kids, one at Oxford and one at Cambridge. Yeah, I think that they were, they were probably pretty pleased, although they have a slightly irritating habit of imagining that everything turned out as they had always predicted it would be. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, they, they, have, they have wonderful hindsight bias, shall we say. So when you were sweating bullets, kind of trying to get your first at... Oxford that was that was predetermined anyway it was always going to happen the fact that you kind of wore a groove in a library chair somewhere with your poor bottom um was neither exactly. here exactly exactly I know it is really funny because I mean that I, I think that would sort of give a kind of wrong impression of our parents in some ways because I think they're quite good at valuing things that come to you harder I think they've been more impressed with other things that we've achieved in our lives that have maybe not come so easily. But it's true, they didn't have that kind of classic, smug parent, look at our children at these nice universities thing at all. So Jane and Johnny were um, pleased that you went to Oxbridge, but thought it would ever be thus. Um, What else were they like? Because reading between the lines and the books that you've written all about the sea and telling me as you have about holidays where you were sort of cold, wet and bored, they seem kind of tough your parents that isn't a fair that is, isn't a fair characterization of them um they're actually they're incredibly sweet and they're really you know loving wonderful parents but the kind of stuff that we did as kids was pretty hard you know we went aged i guess six or seven we would get up before dawn and go fishing in the dark in november um on the south coast and you know i've got images of my mother with a 
torch in her mouth, um, holding a bass and kind of reaching into its stomach to pull the hook out, which had got foul hooked. And all the while, you know, it's flapping about and sticking its pins into her. And, you know, I mean, I guess they're, they're quite an unusual pair. I, I I struggled to pin them down a little bit in the conversation with your brother. And I said, were they tough? And he said, no, that's wrong. And I said, were they kind of hardy? And he said, maybe that was closer to the truth. And he described the childhood holidays you had where you were mainly cold and bored and <laughs> <laughs> a bit miserable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm terrible at going on holiday when I'm not a little bit sort of wet and stretched and challenged it drives my husband round the wall I won't sort of sit nicely in a nice warm place and be sort of relaxed and happy I'm like surely we should so we discovered um, you know um, co-steering flinging ourselves off cliffs but I think our, our parents they're very loving but they they sort of perform love rather than say love but you sort of know deep down it's quite funny I was just because I, I live next door to them now so I was just walking the dog before becoming on this call and I said to I said to mother I'm about to do this call and she said don't worry your voice isn't annoying on the radio and that for her is her way of saying I love and support you and I know it'll go brilliantly <laughs> um, and that that would be pure her really. So so when Meg was two years ahead of herself at school did you ever have a sense that that was anything other than just brilliant because to me that sounds like some sort of nightmare being two years out of kilter with my peers. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I dare say that that probably made it harder for her to socialise with her peers. She was very, very bookish and so and relatively introverted as a child. And then I think that she was forced to learn how to be extroverted and how to socialise I went away to boarding school when I was seven. I was in this class and then I think, I think it was when my birthday was coming up in December or somebody else's birthday was coming up. And I was like, how old are you going to be? And they said, oh, I'm going to be um, 10. I said, I'm seven. And everyone thought I was lying. And it was really confusing. And I think it was hard. I was lucky. I found a best friend. And once you find a best friend, then you're sort of anchored. But mm. there, there was this definitely this sort of mist of girls much more grown up than I am with was the much more grown up sort of concerns. It was it was strange. I mean, I always remember him saying that it was nice because he could then eat shepherd's pie and stewed apple, which I refused to eat because I refused to eat any nice food when I was younger. Meg also talked about the fact that she went off to boarding school at seven years old. And you didn't mention that, Chris. Either you saw her so much in the holidays that it didn't seem like such a wrench or maybe I didn't ask the right question. Oh, yeah. Um, if I'm honest, it didn't feel like a huge wrench when Meg went off to boarding school. And... I guess because of the fact that for me it wasn't because I was staying at home and and actually one of the plus points of it was that Meg was an extraordinarily fussy eater when we were children <laughs> and so you were just glorying in shepherd's pie <laughs> I, well exactly shepherd's pie and stewed apple and our mother would read to me every evening and so all in all I thought that was a pretty good deal and I guess yeah Meg sorry I kind of hadn't really focused on the fact that that whole process was kind of traumatic for you whereas oh, I just yeah, thought that, that boarding my, my school trauma, was great my trauma yeah your deep deep trauma yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is the bit that I want a mother was like I, mother was mother was going to listen to it and I was thinking hmm how much shall I talk about the deep deep trauma of boarding school <laughs> oh you were fine trauma fine <laughs> seven seven is small can I say you know unequivocally seven is small 
I, I, I yeah. love terrifying. I mean, my children are now nine and 11. But, you know, if ever I want to entertain them, Tales of Boarding School is really, you know. But it's funny. It's funny that Christopher and I have such a sort of day-to-day kind of friendly sort of relationship. When I think that when I look at my children sort of sitting around the breakfast table every morning and watching TV after school every day, I think we didn't do that at that age. It's funny, all those gaps. But we sort of obviously filled them at the, in the holidays somehow. And then I remember him saying that when he went away, he always thought that he'd be really homesick because I was. And then he wasn't. And he was really surprised. I think it was that sort of first, you know, maybe an early idea that you can be really different from your sister and something that your sister does doesn't necessarily have to be the right thing to do. I think he went away and had a really good time and was almost a bit, you know, surprised that he did as I sort of wept on Sunday nights. Do you think that's true, Chris? Yeah. I was, I was, I was being silent only because I had nothing to add. I, I love the way that you really go there on the sort of introspection and trauma and childhood angst. It's, it's, it's very deep. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yep, that's fine. Yep. I'm my mother's, my mother's son. Absolutely fine. Okay. <laughs> uh. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And what was the process like of writing a book with your sister? She's a, a writer um, of other books and a journalist. Um, and then you've come together to create something. Did you work well together? I think so. I mean, obviously, you'll have to ask her and see if she has a, a, a different opinion on this. It was a surprisingly pleasant experience, actually. People are always like, how's it going? How's it going? I'm like, it's fine. He writes stuff. It's really good. I make it like a little bit better and maybe put in some jokes. And In the case of the stuff that I sent to her, um, she would edit it fairly heavily um, and essentially, <laughs> you know, sprinkle that kind of journalistic magic dust over my slightly turgid technical prose and hopefully breathe some life into it. Um, and then mostly the stuff that she sent me, I'd say, yeah, that looks brilliant. Um, and, well done, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, Chris, he's a really, 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 really good writer. Um, but he's not somebody who has spent five years, 10 years, no, how long, I don't know, obsessing about words. So I suppose it's a bit like, 
yeah like he like, like maybe it's a different, when the children say to me you should go on bake-off mummy I'm like no I can bake a really nice cake like a really nice cake but it's not I can't do the pretties and so I think mm-hmm. I was doing I was doing the pretties and like sort of slowly moving the smarties left a bit right a bit left a bit right a bit which I think that worked pretty well as a as a process and, it's, and again it's it's nice doing something with siblings rather than just I mean we love eating and drinking together and that's probably what we spend most of our time doing but like when we were in our early 20s we went away sailing together Mm. doing this you know you kind of you know you reach other parts it makes your relationship more interesting um and he's also brilliant brilliant at industry parties I hate them I I, I, (laughs) going to an agent's party or publisher's party just makes me want to curl up and die and he is brilliant at it in a really natural way so being able to walk in with him there as an ally has just been heavenly I haven't done this before but I'm going to do it because of the book that you've written together and you have to just give a one-word answer so this is there's four questions okay 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 and it's a sea fever quick fire round so who would win in a sailing race me chris who would catch the biggest crab meg chris who would build the best sandcastle meg chris and what was the other one i had here oh yes um (laughs) who would be more likely to rescue the other from quicksand meg uh me how about that i have to win one of them (laughs) Can you tell that I have made my peace with the fact that he is better at a lot of things like that than I am? I, I can tell that, yes. So let's go back to your um, wardrobe overdue of your late teens. Your sister <laughs> your sister equipped you with some decent jeans and a few nice tops, taking care of you as she was trying to do. Has she persisted in taking care of you throughout your life? Has she always been the sort of bigger sister to whom you can look up? Um. Yes, she has. And um, I mean, interestingly, while we were writing the book together, I was also getting divorced. And, um, you know, obviously, I mean, divorce is, is, is miserable at, at the best of times. I mean, as it, as it happens, um, and in the acknowledgements to the book, I actually write that, you know, my ex-wife Mary was amazing in trying to make the process of divorce as not miserable as possible. Um, but Meg was, you know, absolutely my kind of rock uh, throughout that whole um, pretty tough time. And why do you think a sister can do that? What is it about the sibling relationship, do you think? I've got some ideas, but when you go through a divorce as an adult, what do you think it is about the sibling relationship that feels a natural place to seek refuge? Um. I think in and among the the many emotions that you're you're feeling as a divorce is unfolding, for want of a better word, um, one of the most powerful emotions that I had was shame. Um, I really felt that this was the first thing in my life that I had really failed at, and and I somehow felt that I was letting everybody in my life down which is clearly a ridiculous thing to think given that you know essentially you know the only people who ultimately really matter is you know your husband wife or you know and 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 children Mm. but anyway for whatever reason you I did feel that way 
as it turns out, you know, all of your friends and acquaintances and colleagues show you nothing but love and sympathy when these sorts of things come along. But you feel that you can turn to your sibling, I guess, because of the fact that they don't come with any judgment. Hmm. I was out of interest. What are the what you said you had some ideas? I'd be interested to know what, what you think. Well, my theory about siblings, it's not very um, sophisticated. It's just that old friends know who you were before, you know, you got caught up in an ambitious, silly job or spending money on the wrong things or whatever and can sometimes remind you of what you thought was important before you started out. And so I think it follows that your sibling knew you even before that. They sort of knew the very essence of you, you, (laughs) you know, silly you and vulnerable you and you before you even... I don't know, started school or had your first girlfriend or any of those things. And so I think when you're lost or things haven't worked out right, they are the fundamental person to whom you can turn to be reminded about who you are. That's my theory. It's not brilliant, but it's one that I feel this podcast keeps reflecting back at me. Yes, Um, yes. Well, I mean, I think presumably the fact, I mean, that's just it. I guess you must be you must now have a much greater insight into sibling (laughs) dynamics than I guess the average person does, right? Well, I think it's very moving as well. I think the idea of being known for your whole life by a constant person who loves you regardless is an incredibly moving thought. It moves me anyway. And I, I, I like hearing the stories. That's why I do the podcast of people talking about how their life has worked out and turned out and been disrupted or been brilliant and the sort of place that that sibling constant plays in that journey just seems, yeah, it makes me feel emotional. Um, <laughs> and the older I get, you know, or, you know, the older I get, the more nostalgic I get. I think that's true of all of us too. Uh, absolutely. And we'll, we'll burst into tears at the drop of a hat. <laughs> that comes later. That bit comes later. <laughs> oh, it's something that's obviously sad it has brought us really, really closer together. I mean, we were we were close already, but it obviously changes the dynamic when he doesn't have his sort of partner there all the time. And then you sort of find yourself becoming a slightly different person. I'm sure there's all sorts of things that we talk about now that we wouldn't have talked about before because he might have been talking about them to Mary. You know, we talked so much while it was all happening. And I mean, he was such a hero. That sort of, you know, you see somebody's strength in adversity. And, you know, if ever, you know, anything bad happened to me, whatever it might be, I try and I try and remember that. He was, he was amazing. That's jolly sweet of you, Meg. Rumble, rumble. <laughs> <laughs> Am I getting close to emotions, Chris? Is there going to be a, cla- a klaxon that goes off or something? <laughs> this, is, this is pure my mother. We're finally working out where the genetic lines go. I mean, there's a deep <laughs> yeah. emotional well underneath, but you've got to come at it with a brick bat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the woman for the job. I've just done yes. it, so come on. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I resent being characterised this way. I'm, you know, I always cry during movies. So does mother. Great movie mother. <laughs> um, you... Oh, strength and grace. I'll take that. Thank you. Yes, I think you are strong and graceful. I also asked him where, why he thought that reaching out to you as his sibling was a kind of natural thing to do. Um, I wonder what you would say to that. I mean, I I sort of told him that I had my own theories. I didn't say what they were, but I told him I had my own theories about why siblings are so important 
at difficult or triumphant moments. I wonder why you think it's so natural. There's, I mean, there has to be, there's there has to be unconditional love, and there has to be, you know, which there is. That there just is, you know, that that love that you've. I was the the, sort of the love that you you know you love your friends, but with with your 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 children and your siblings and your parents and your my husband, I suppose they're the only people that if they're sad, I'm hurting too. That you know that you know if if he brings me something sad it, it's not just something that he's telling me it's something that's going to become part of me as well it's you know it's a it's a different kind of connection a feeling and i think you know you've seen your siblings you know he he he's seen me being a real dick and vice versa and there's there's no <laughs> there's no barrier there's no there's no there's no you don't have to pretend so much you know i suppose even with our closest friends there's always still maybe a little bit of a sort of you know, not a performance, but self-respect. <laughs> self-respect. Whereas, with, I think I think you can be a lot rawer, can't you? And you can be a lot more, you know. And and they just know. And there's a shorthand. You don't need to explain things. Um, mm. And I think, I think you can probably be more selfish with a sibling as well. You can just, you can really, you can lean and without without worrying. I think. Thank you to Meg and Chris. Sea Fever is out now and will help to keep those staycation vibes going just a little longer. And what's about nicknames for him? Do you have any? I used to call him quite sweet nicknames. Like, I used to call him Crockle when he was really little. And then I used to call him Bag. And I can't even remember why. Possibly because my parents <laughs> called him Binza because he ate a lot. And then it was Binza, Bin Bag. I called him the Bag. Stuffer quite a lot when I was a child. <laughs> And Binza, because I ate a lot. And that's now sort of the vestiges of that, that whenever he's feeling that he's eaten too much and that he's feeling sort of chubby around his haunches, he calls them bagel handles. <laughs> um, I don't really know what's that. <laughs> and then he became Uncle Stuffer. And I think he used to get called Stuffer when he was little, like Christopher, again, because he ate a lot. I just should say here that he's a very trim and splendid looking man. And then I would sometimes refer to her as Meggy, Meggy, fat, fat, big, fat pig. But that was when I was quite a bit older. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham, who let us use this amazing song. Thank you too for listening. Next week, it's Gok and Quaklin One, who talk all about food, fashion, and the pain of trying to fit in. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Staying by the fireside. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Staying by the fireside. Another Safe inside, only your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you. You still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, this didn't do enough for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.